All right, man. Amen. It's my favorite part of the whole thing. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? All right, you look good. Grab your Bibles. I hope you got one. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you in the seat back. We're going we're gonna to be uh, in week two of this series on the Ten Commandments. We're actually going to start in, um, in Exodus chapter 19. The Ten Commandments show up in chapter 20. Um, and, and today what we're going to talk about is the fourth commandment. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. And, and I know Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby still think it's awesome, but do you? I mean, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And especially in this culture where when people ask you all the time, right, are you staying busy? And your answer better be, you know I am. Because if you ask somebody, are you staying busy? And they go like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm kind of resting. You think, mm, there's something wrong with you, right? That's kind of the culture in which we live. And so we're going to spend some time talking today about Sabbath and rest and what that looks like, especially for us today. But the reason I want to start in Exodus chapter 19 is because before you get to the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue, um, there's this preamble to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 19. And it's very important because if you miss chapter 19, then you'll miss the whole point of all the commandments, okay? And so let me just jump right into Exodus chapter 19, verse 3. It says, while Moses went up to God, he's up on a mountain talking to God. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So when you get to Exodus 19, what you see is God has been the active agent, not Israel. This is important for me and you too. So if Moses were to take a time out right here and say, God, but why did you uh, rescue us from Egypt? The answer is not because you're awesome. The answer is because God is. And so God has been the one moving. God has been the active agent. And he says, remember, Moses, just like a few days ago, remember, I am the one that brought you here. I'm the one that brought you out of slavery. I'm the one that bore you up on eagles' wings. Why, God? It's for God's glory and for our joy. It goes on in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, this is important. You remember back to last semester. Remember last semester we started all the book of Genesis and it started out with a covenant between God and Abraham and then, and then between God and Isaac and between God and Jacob. And what he's saying here is, Moses, the reason I'm doing this for you is simply because I am who I say I am and I always keep my promises. And to your great, 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 great granddaddy, Abraham, I made a promise that you would be my people and I would take you to a promised land. And God says, I never break my promises. So, so again, Moses, it's not because of you and how awesome you and the Israelites are. It's because he is, God is who he says he is, and he always keeps his promises. And then he says, and you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, are they a kingdom and priest, of priests and a holy nation? No, they're a kingdom of rejects and a holy mess. That's what they are. But God in his sovereignty, what he, what he will often do, and you see it all throughout the scriptures, is he will talk about you and me and Israel in the perfected state that we one day will be, not in the mess that we are in right now. Now, God doesn't love some future version of you. He can just see the future sanctified version of you, and he loves you right now. And so, here's what you've got to understand. Before before the Hebrew people ever do anything, they've never done anything. The first commandment hasn't even rolled off the lips of God yet, so they don't even have the ability to obey the commandments because they don't have the first commandment yet. And yet, before that happens, 
God gives this unearned invitation into a relationship with him. Here's why you need to know that. That grace precedes the law. This is so important. Before you get the Ten Commandments, this is how you're supposed to behave, you get this unearned invitation into a relationship with God. You're going to be my people. But God, we didn't do anything yet. I know. That's the point. God is the active agent. The grace precedes the law. And then the law is going to come in. It's going to start with the Ten Commandments. And then the law is going to diagnose the problem. That you have a holy God that desires a relationship with unholy people. And it diagnoses the problem. It's what Pastor Britt talked about last week when he said that the law is a, both a map and a mirror. It's a map to show you exactly how to get to perfection. And it's a mirror to let you know that you're lost and you'll never get there on your own. So again, grace precedes the law. And then the law diagnoses that there is a problem. Last week, <clears throat> the reason Pastor Britt was preaching, I was skiing. I was uh, in Colorado skiing, and I'm not, that very, I'm not a very good skier, but I'm very fast, and I go in straight lines. That's kind of how I do. It's a little dangerous, whatever. And I'm skiing with a friend of mine, and he's a very good skier, and he's a doctor, and he's a good friend of mine, and he's in front of me, and he's skiing great, and then he just kind of falls, and it doesn't look like that big a deal, and so I ski down to him, um, and we get his pole and one ski. He's just got one ski, and he's got one ski on, one ski off. That's always a bad idea. And then I get next to him, and he's like, uh, he tries to stand up, says his knee hurt, says, when I stand, I feel like I'm going to throw up. You know, I kind of make fun of him a little bit. And then we realize there's a real problem, okay? And then, so we have to call the ski patrol, and the ski patrol comes, and they put him in that little cart of shame, and they ski him all down the deal, right? And he's a grown man, he's a 40-something-year-old grown man, and this 80-pound girl skis him all the way down. It's really embarrassing. And then they take him to the emergency room or hospital or whatever, and they do an x-ray and an MRI on his knee. And you know what it does? It reveals that there's a problem, torn ACL and all those other L's, okay? It is torn, okay? And it reveals that there's a problem, and the MRI machine does nothing to cure it. That's the Ten Commandments. When you hold the Ten Commandments up in front of you and you see this mirror of what it looks like to be perfect or to be holy or to be set apart, or to be in that relationship with God, it reveals to you that there's something broken in you, but it, it leaves you powerless to do anything about it. And that's why we have the gospel. The gospel is the answer. Or the gospel is the remedy for the problem. And so the remedy for my friend with the bum knee is surgery. And the remedy for you and me is surgery too. His is on his knee, ours is on our heart. And so grace precedes the law, the law diagnoses the problem, and the gospel is the answer to the problem. Now the reason I need you to get this is because as we continue to walk through the law, if you don't understand that grace precedes the law, then sometimes um, teaching on the commandments or the law can sound like, can sound like swimming lessons to a drowning man. And honestly, there's a lot of churches today that will talk about, about just moral behavior. And I'm telling you, if you're drowning, swim harder, kick faster does you no good, right? If the water is over your head. And so Christ is that life raft. And the other thing is this. <clears throat> the thing about the particular commandment that we're going to talk about today, the Sabbath commandment, is it's, it's very important. Pa Pastor Britt last week said that the first four commandments Commandments are about us and God, and then the last six are about us and one another. That's kind of right. The fourth commandment, the one we're going to talk about today, is kind of a hinge commandment. It's both and. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You'll see here in the fourth commandment that this is what it hinges on. 
that until we get that right relationship with God, we are hopeless to do the thou shalt and thou shalt nots with one another. It's very, very important. And I also know this, that most of you don't even know all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and you don't know where they are. You think they're in a courthouse in Alabama and you're real stoked about that. But they're actually in Exodus chapter 20. And I thought if we're going to study them for a bunch of weeks, we might want to memorize or learn them all. And I'll just confess to you that I didn't learn all the Ten Commandments until after I got out of seminary, okay? After I became a professional Christian, had the degrees and all of that, a kindergarten kid at my first full-time church taught me the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to teach them to you. And so this is an all-skate. Everybody's playing along. So put down your notes, put down your pen, okay? And men, you have to play along too, all right? I know you think you're cool with your arms crossed. You're not that cool. Get over yourself. Get your hands out, okay? You're going to need spirit fingers. Here we go. We're going to teach them to you. All right, ready? Just give me one finger. Give me the right finger, please. This is a church. All right, thanks. There's one God. That's the first commandment. There's one God. Two. All right, do it like this, like scissors. Cut out the idols. Got it? Come on, everybody playing here. Good. Cut out the idols. Three. Looks like a W. Watch your words. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Got it? Number four. There's typically four Sundays in a month. So uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. All right? Five, parents, you're going to love this one. Yes, sir. Obey your father and mother. Got it? Next week, that's what I'm talking about. So if I were you, if you have teenagers, they should be filling the front few rows. All right? You'll like that one. That's five. Six, ready? Boom. Thou shalt not murder. That's it. I wish I'd say I made these up. I didn't. All right, seven. All right, now we're into two hands now. Everybody got hands up. Let's see. All right. Now, if you raise them, you're Michael Baptist nervous. They'll think we're getting charismatic, but we'll just keep them right here. <clears throat> seven. And if you brought your kids, I love this one. You're going to have fun over lunch with this one. Ready? Right here. This is thou shall not commit adultery. All right. Get it? Okay. So, but mom. Yeah, good luck with that. All right. <clears throat> Number eight. See, in some countries, if you steal, they'll cut off your pinky. Right? Thou shalt not steal. Got it? Haha, I'm lying. I do have a pinky. Thou shalt not lie. See? Bing. There it is. Bing. Got it? And then the tenth one, you got to reach out like you're trying to take somebody's stuff. Thou shalt not covet. All right? Good job. Now, there you go. <clears throat> now, there will not be a test, but we're going to do that every week, so we'll learn them. So, today, what we're going to do is we're going to spend about 40 minutes now on the fourth one. On remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What does that mean, etc. Now, th- this is very, very important. And, and even the word Sabbath, it, in Hebrew it just means rest. And the word Sabbath to you, depending on the way you grew up and, and your background, it can mean all kinds of different stuff, okay? And so, like when I grew up, I grew up in the fundamentalist South, and they knew how to take the fun out of fundamentalism. And so on Sundays, nothing was open, and you, we couldn't do anything really fun. Like my grandma told me, fish don't bite on Sundays. She was lying, all right, because we caught a lot of them. And so just kind of depending on how, how you grew up, you know, that's fine. And one of the things that's really tough when you talk about Sabbath is imposing Sabbath rules most often prevents people from experiencing Sabbath rest. It just does. And so, um, in fact, it kind of reminds me, I was at Walmart one time, standing in line in the 10 item or less line, counting the items of the woman in front of me, making sure she's either can, you know, literate or not a liar, you know what I mean? And so she's got this little kid with her, and this was pre-kids for me, when I thought mom were going to always obey in public. And her little kid is going nuts. I mean, he's losing his mind. And he's trying to get everything 
Because, you know, those evil marketing people put all the candy at little kid level, right? And so he's pulling stuff off, and they're screaming and yelling. And then at one point in the line, she stops and looks at him and screams at the top of her lungs in Walmart, which is just kind of normal. But she screams at him, and she screams, relax! And I thought, he's never going to understand the meaning of the word relax. So I don't think it would do me a lot of good to spend our time here this morning screaming at you rest or Sabbath or relax. I just kind of want to unpack it so that you can apply this commandment to your life. So if you, if you pick it up in Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 8, here's the Sabbath commandment. It says this, remember the Sabbath day. Now this is important. It says remember. Here's why it says remember. Because the Sabbath day was instituted before sin ever entered the world. So if you remember back to our fall series when we talked about creation... That God worked for six days. He created everything in six days. And then he rested on the Sabbath day. And so all the other commandments are instituted after sin has entered the world. So that we could be set apart and know what it is to be holy. But this one has nothing to do with right or wrong or sin or not sin. This is the way God designed us in rhythm to live. To work, 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 rest. That's how he created us. And so he's telling them, remember that. In fact, if you'll think about this... (coughs) Um, The very first thing mankind ever did on the earth was Sabbath. Because they were created on the sixth day. So their first full day of existence was resting in the very presence of God. And now, Old Testament Sabbath is that you rest as a result of being tired from working hard all day. But pre-fall Sabbath is the very first thing you do is you rest in God to be prepared for the work that he has called you to do. That's the same thing as New Testament Sabbath, post-resurrection Jesus Sabbath. You see, Christians rest or Sabbath typically on the first day of the week, which is in preparation for what God has called them to do as opposed to being worn out from what he has called them to do. And so, this is the very first thing that, that God has mankind experience. Remember the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. That just means different or set apart. That you and I should have one day a week that's just different than all the other days of the week. Verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, because of our culture, I've just got to take a time out right here and remind you of this. Six days you shall labor. That means work. And you should do all your work. Listen. You were created to work. Before Before sin ever enters the world, God creates Adam, puts him in the garden, and says, go to work, boy. All right? You go to work. You subdue and cultivate. And then God looks at him, and he goes, "Mm, it's not good for man to be alone, so he's not getting the job done right, so he gives him a wife. (laughs) All the wives said, you know that's right, all right? It's not good for man to be alone, whether you're 8 to 80. It doesn't matter. We burn stuff up, and so we need a wife to help us, all right? And so, there, there they are. And their job in the garden before sin is to work. You were created to work. And I think some people t- call, call slothfulness Sabbath. And listen, you were created to work and to get all your work done in six days. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know where the 40-hour work week came up. I know we got HR people that love it. I don't really obey it, all right? In, in the, back in the Bible times, work week was from sunup to sundown six days a week. So you're talking about a 65-hour work week. That makes me feel better about my work life, okay? It just does. They worked all the time. And when they got this command to rest one day, you know, before this command, they worked seven days a week because they were slaves. This was a gift from God to tell them to rest. 
And listen, I know, especially if you're in your teens or 20s or you're a college student, that kind of thing. And I know you're like, well, I'm just trying to find my place in the world and discover myself. Listen, you need to find your place as at work. Get up and go to work. And while you're discovering what color of the rainbow you are, you need to be at work, Skittles, working. You understand? <laughs> Paying the bills, going to bed tired. One of, some of the best advice my daddy ever gave me is, look here, boy, you don't get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. And that's what God created us for, is to work. Now, yes, God has, has knit you together and has a purpose and a plan for you, and you're designed for certain things. You have strengths and weaknesses. And as you're figuring that out, you do that while you are going to work. And you get all of your work done. All of your work done. I think, I think the, the greatest workforce on the planet, particularly in Jacksonville, ought to be Christians. I think every president, every CEO, every hiring manager in Jacksonville, when they have a job opening, they ought to think, we need to hire Christians. Now, I don't necessarily believe what they believe, and I think they're wasting their time on Sundays, and I don't know what they're doing in that old Walmart. They go in there and sing Christian karaoke with their hands up. I think that's all weird, but here's what I know. When I hire Christians, they work, and they get all their work done. That, that you want to change Jacksonville? Let me tell you one of the ways to do it. When you go to work tomorrow, that you work as unto the Lord. You're not looking, you're not looking at ways to, to do less to make more, but you're, you're actually trying to do this to get all your work done. In those six days. And here's one reason why. Because your time is so important. Your time is so important. Do you realize it's the most valuable commodity that you have? Think about this. You can run out of money. you got time to make more money. Some of you have done that two or three times, right? You made a bunch and it went away. And then you got a bunch again, okay? You can make more friends. You can. You can make more friends. If you run out of friends, you can get some new ones. Now, if you keep doing that a lot, guess what? You might be the problem. That's a different sermon. <laughs> You run out of time, you're done. You're done. So your time matters. So remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Now, Sabbath again just means rest. We're going to talk about what that means for us in a second. But one of the questions I get here often as the pastor is this. Is, does the day matter? Does it matter if I do Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday? And does it matter? Because... In the, when this was written, the Sabbath was from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. That was the Sabbath or the seventh day. And then when Christianity moves in, it switches over to Sunday. And you think, well, how did that happen? Well, it's actually one of the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That all the Christians, which started out as all converted Jewish people, they, they decided, hey, instead of worshiping on the seventh day, we're going to remember the day that Jesus came out of the grave on the first day of the week, and we're going to move our primary day of worship from uh, Saturday to Sunday. And the fact that in one generation, over an entire nations upon nations upon nations, that switched is evidence that something happened on that day. And I still have some people today say, well, you know what, we should really be worshiping on Saturday and I want to point you to a few verses. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says this. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus is saying. The fact that God gives us a Sabbath, it's a gift from God to us. And the Sabbath, or rest, is there to serve us. We're not supposed to serve it. And by the time Jesus gets around here, then there were rabbis and religious leaders that had come up with so many rules to make sure that everybody was resting on the Sabbath that it took more work to rest on the Sabbath than it was worth. 
And so there's all these rules about how many times you had to wash your hands and those kinds of things. And in fact, what rabbis would do is rabbis would come along, very well-meaning rabbis, and they would come along and they would read the scriptures and then it says very general things like remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then rabbis would say, let me, let me write down or interpret how you apply to your life what God means when he says this. And those interpretations of the scriptures would be called their yoke. That's what it was called, their yoke. And so they would say, okay, well, I think if you, if you run 100 yards on a Sabbath, then that's work. And then the next guy would come along and go, I think if you jog 100 yards, that's work. And then the next guy would say, I think if you walk 100 yards, that's work. And then the next guy would say, I think if you take 50 steps, that's work. And, and as they would jot these things down, they would literally do it on a big scroll and they would have their yoke. And people would determine what rabbi they were going to follow by the yoke that they had. And they literally would have these discussions like, okay, let's say it's the Sabbath and Nana falls in a field. Can you pick her up or not? And they go, well, is it big Nana or little Nana? Because little Nana, you can probably scoop her up. But if Nana's kind of big, you might, I don't know, all right? And you think Nana's going to, if Nana's going to make it through the weekend, let's just pick her up on, you know, after the weekend. But if you don't think she's going to make it, go ahead and we'll bear her back home. Those literally were the kind of the discussions that, that they would have. And so Jesus comes along and says, hey, listen, you've got it all wrong. Imposed Sabbath rules often prevent actual Sabbath rest. And so he says, Sabbath was not made for man or man for the Sabbath. That means, you know what that means for you? You can go to 722 and it counts. All right, that'd be great. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In other words, don't judge other people on how they rest on the Sabbath. Verse 17 is why. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We're going to unpack that more in a little while. In Romans 14, 5 and 6. That one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. All that's to say is this, it don't matter the day of week. What matters are you resting in Christ. That's what matters. Remember the Sabbath. It was that you and I would rest. And again, one of the reasons Christians moved it from Saturday to Sunday is because to rest at the end of the week kind of means that I'm tired for what I have been doing. In in post-resurrection Jesus, in new covenant theology, we don't rest from our work. We rest for the good works Christ has called us into. We move it to the first day of the week. And on the first day, you give God first. Not only financially, we've talked about that a lot lately, but also even in your calendar, you give God first. So he says, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there's no way that you and I could fully understand what this meant to an agricultural society thousands of years ago for them to hear that, hey, there's one day a week and you're not working anymore. Now, some of them thought, oh, sweet, I get to just sleep in and take a nap. But most of them thought, oh, time out. Do you have any idea how much work I have to get done on the seventh day? I mean, have you ever run a farm? There are no days off. 
And so, God, I'm a little concerned because I got bills to pay. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. You know, I've got things to do. And it took an immense amount of faith and trust in God to work for six days and to rest for one. But essentially what God is saying is this, that six days of work with me will always be more than seven days of what you can accomplish, accomplish on your own. And so it took an amazing amount of trust for these men and women to do this. And what they probably didn't understand at that point, but God totally did, is that their horizontal relationships hinged on whether that one day a week they were reconnecting with their God. And so I want to talk to you about what does this mean for me and you today in 2015? What does the Sabbath mean for us? Here's how we Sabbath. Here's how we should Sabbath. Number one is this, is that you've got to reconnect. The Sabbath day is about reconnecting, first and foremost with God and also with one another. So it says to to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that a big part of the Sabbath is for us to reconnect with God. In fact, that's what we do here, that you and I are the temples of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there was an actual building with a little room on the inside called the Holy of Holies, and that's where God's presence resided on this earth. When Jesus died on the cross, the last thing he said is, it is finished, and then an earthquake hits Jerusalem, and there's a curtain between this Holy of Holies where the presence of God was that separated God's presence from messed up people like us. But when Jesus died and said, it is finished, the curtain's ripped from the very top to the very bottom, and God's presence is available for everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And at Pentecost, we find out that whoever surrenders their life to Christ, whoever surrenders their life to Christ, that the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, invades our lives and comes to reside on the inside of us. Therefore, God's address on this earth is you. It's not this old Walmart. It's not a cathedral. It's not a temple. That you and I are temples. And praise God, that's what that means when you hear your body is a temple. It doesn't matter what you look like in a bathing suit. That's not what it's talking about. Amen? It's talking about God lives in here. And so, a big part of what the Sabbath is, is one day a week, you set a day apart where you reconnect to God. That's why, by the way, what we do in here is we seek to glorify God in worship and word. And that's what we do in here. And then when you come in here and you worship, and you open up your heart, and you open up your hands, and you open up your mouth to worship God, God, there is a reminder of the God in you that gets stirred up. And you know what I'm talking about. That that it is a reconnection point. Also, it's one of the reasons I don't just do like, hey, here's four four ways for you to be a better version of you. I don't do those kinds of sermons. That we just walk through the Word of God because the Word of God is living and active and it will do something in your soul that helps you reconnect to God. This is a big, big deal. That one day a week in a way that's different, that you need to be reconnecting to God. Also, you'll see in verse 10, okay, it says, the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord, and on it you should do no work, we're going to talk about that in a second, and neither shall you or your sons or your daughters or basically all the people that live with you. So not only is it a reconnection to God, but it's also like a reconnection to the people that you are closest with. You know, either to your family, like your mom, dad, brother, sister, family, or to parts of your church family. Which means what God wants you to do as you reconnect to him is also of an overflow of that love that you have for him and he has for you that it begins to spill out in other people. In my house, 
In my house, that means one day a week, one of the things we try to do is disconnect from all of the distractions of this world, right? Turn off all the electronic stuff. And, and God has given us this unbelievable gift called dominoes, all right? And so we sit at our, at, at our table and play Mexican Train's our favorite one. Last time we played, Reagan won, okay? So you know God is involved in it. And basically, it's just, like we could learn a lot from our pilgrim friends where we just stop everything and actually look at each other's faces for a little while. And that just means that a part of what Sabbath is, it's to reconnect with God, and it's also to reconnect with each other. The second thing. So part of it's about reconnecting. The second thing is this, is that the Sabbath is about recharging. It's about recharging. The Bible says that you should do no work. Do not do any work. Now, then the question comes, uh, well, what is work? You know? Because one of the things that gets on my nerves is when people try to tell me how to rest. Right? Don't you hate that when people tell you how to rest? And one of the problems that Jesus was running into in the first century is that people were arguing about how to rest instead of helping each other rest. And so um, a few months ago, I was at this pastor's conference somewhere, California, I think, and I... And I um, Bumped into a friend of mine who's a pastor, who's been a lead pastor a lot longer than I have, a guy named Matt Carter at the Austin Stone. It's a church in Austin, Texas. Great church. It's a, it's a part of the network of churches that we're involved in. And he, he shared this tool with me that was really, really helpful. And then he dared me to go and share it with Gretchen. And I would dare you to do the same thing. And so here's what he said. I want to share it with you. He said, I want you to imagine that your life is like this big tank. And you can kind of consider it, it's like a tank of energy, right? The kind of amount of energy that you have. And so you have things that fill this tank up, and you have things that drain this tank. And what I would challenge you to do is to be very open and honest and vulnerable and real about what are the things that fill you up and what are the things that drain you. And then he went through to share some of the things with me. And and basically, I'll tell you this, this will only be as helpful as you are willing to be honest. Because the fake you is doing just fine. You look great, all right? But if you're tired and you're drained, this could be a reason. And so he listed a few things, and he dared me to list a few things. And in no particular order, I'll share some with you. One of the things that really fills me is to hunt. It just does. There's something about going in the woods and climbing in a tree and waiting for something awesome to happen. And it's just different than going and sitting in a park, okay? It just unless I get to shoot somebody. It's just different. <laughs> Okay? But I just love it. And so the other thing is, is you don't have to feel like you've got to make an excuse as to why these things fill, fill you, but they just do. Um, another one for me is this, my kids. And I mean like the fun part of my kids. You know what I mean? Like uh, this weekend was a great example. On Friday, I took Reagan to breakfast. Actually, we ate breakfast about 12 o'clock, but that's fine. I took her and she got Mickey Mouse pancakes and they were about that big. And so, and I just love it. I love taking her out and hanging out. And one of the questions I ask her a lot, I think I heard it from Dr. Phil, I say to her all the time, Reagan, of all the little girls in the whole world, how'd I get the best one? And this Friday, she looks at me and she says, Daddy, of all the daddies in the whole world, how did I get the best one? And you know what happens? Ding, I'm done, I'm full. I'm good. It's a filler for me. Or, or um, I took JP and four of his friends last night to WWE Professional Wrestling downtown at the arena. All right? Now, it's ridiculous, it's silly. JP was like, why are those big men in their underpants? I don't know, all right? 
but to watch him and his friends and to play. And he looks at me at one point when his guy won. I can't remember his name, but his guy won. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, this is the greatest moment of my life. Okay. I hope that isn't the peak. You know, it's tough to peak early. But still, I came home. We didn't get home until midnight, but it was, a, it was a fueling thing for me. Here's another one. Being honest. Ready? Happy Gretchen. Okay. If you ever hear me call Gretchen G, that's got, you know, her, her maiden name was Gretchen Nicely, and I always thought G Nice would be a great rap name, but she can't rap, so I still call her G. And you just know this, right? Uh, if Duck Dynasty has taught us anything, it's happy, 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 all right? That happy wife equals happy life. And so, just texts or date nights with her, that kind of stuff is a filler for me. Another one, I should probably say something about Jesus, because I'm the preacher, but... When I read my Bible in study and preparation for sermons, it is a fill for me. One of my favorite things to do throughout the year, throughout months, is, is when I have entire days set aside to just read and study and kind of get ready for this. These kind of things are fillers for me. And so you probably ought to, ought to make a list of these. Now, you notice there's only one hobby up here. You know why? Because I'm married with children. All right? Husbands, you get one hobby. Choose wisely. Now... Now, there's also on this side, too, there's some drains. And let me tell you, before we talk about these drains, this. is These aren't bad things. It's not like these things are good and these things are bad. So there's some things I'm going to write here, up here that are very good, that I very much enjoy. It's just when I'm finished, I'm, I'm, they're draining to me. So I'll give you an easy one for me. To preach. To preach. Now, I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world. I love it. If I couldn't do it, I don't know what I would do. I feel like God has wired me to do this. But after the third time today, after our 1.30 service at 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock, you may go home and take a nap. I go home into a coma. That's just how it is, all right? And because, <clears throat> I don't know if it comes across to you, but I'm not just like, you know, just teaching points, but I try to pour my guts out into this thing we call preaching here. And so I go home tired. It is draining for me. Um, this one, you got to let me explain. Parenting drains me. My kids are fun, but when I have to do like the responsible part of parenting, like feeding them and helping with homework and getting them to bed, I'm telling you what, it just wears me out. Some of you moms, you single moms are the heroes of this world, okay? I'm just telling you, because I don't know how you do it, I don't know how you do it. When, and spattering applause for single moms is a sin, okay? If you're going to clap, just clap, all right? So, <laughs> Amen. So if Gretchen is away for like a day and, and I have the kids, I just tell her this straight up. I'm like, babe, I can, do one, I can only do one, one of the two. I can either keep the kids alive or keep the house clean. You decide. I can't pull them both off, all right? I don't know how y'all do it, but you do. But when I have, now again, these aren't bad things. These are just things that wear me out. Um, the next one is this, and I've got to explain again. Sad G. Okay, so... <clears throat> Now, early in my marriage, just to be arrogantly honest, I thought, well, why would she ever be sad, Gee, She's married to me. Just, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine how rough that is? So, here's the thing, husbands. This is some free marriage advice. You should know this list for your wife, right? You should know what fills her and what drains her. So, I know some fills for my wife. One is to go to the gym. She loves the gym. She loves to work out and eat healthy and be 
fit and all that stuff. And, and as we were walking through this, and again, especially if you're married, I would encourage you to go through this. And it's going to cause a fight. You're going to fight, but that's all right. You'll be better later. But it's worth the fight. And when Gretchen was like, you know what, if I could just go to the gym X amount of times, I'd just feel better. And I remember thinking, okay, so if I make sure I work my day and schedule in such a way that you go to the gym, you come home happy and hot, praise God from whom all blessings flow, I think we have a winner. It's just true. Another one of Gretchen's fills is proximity. It's like the sixth love language for her. What I mean is quality time isn't so important, but one day a week, she's got to be able to kind of look around and all of the Martins are within reach, reaching distance. We could ignore each other all day. We could all watch our own shows and not even look at each other. But if we're just in the same vicinity, that fills her. One of her big drains, huge drains, is anything not clean. Anything not clean. So just the other day, we had a bunch of staff folks over for dinner. It was great. It was fun. And, 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 and they stayed, some of them stayed late. And so afterwards, we're cleaning up. And she's cleaning. I'm doing whatever she's telling me to do. And if I were to tell her, as she's like washing dishes or whatever, if I were to tell her, hey, put that stuff away and sit down and rest, it's impossible. It would be like me saying, get in the water and dry off. It's just not going to happen. But if you just know these things, it helps. And so that one's a big drain on me. Um, let me tell you another one is this one. I think that's how you spell it. Counseling. Counseling. Now, again, I don't, first of all, I don't think I'm very good at it. In about five minutes, I'll say, okay, here's your problem. Stop. And that's it. Counseling's over. But for me to you know, I've got a Bible verse already, and I've heard your story before. I've been doing this 20 plus years. There's only four problems in the whole world. We'll go over them one day. And that's it. And I can diagnose you in a second, and then, you know, the problem's you. That's the problem come to church so that's it and so when this is over at the end of the hour I'm like oh so all right <clears throat> the reason I share this with you is this nobody gets to tell you what's on your list just like nobody gets to tell you what rest is okay but you've got to be honest about what actually fills you and what actually drains you now he, now again this is like a uh, this is kind of like our our energy reservoir here and so what happens is you get up every day and you go to work and you do what you're supposed to do and then you got some drains and you get tired. Now here's the thing. You were created to get tired. You getting tired every day from working hard is just evidence of our dependence on God. And so what we should do, healthy people in right relationship with God are filled to the top or at least close to it, and then you work hard, and you dip down to tired, and then you have a Sabbath every week, and then you, you recharge or refuel, and then you're ready to go. And healthy people kind of live in this world. So if you're tired right now, no problem. No, you should be. As long as you Sabbath and rest and recharge and reconnect with God, and reconnect with family, and then get ready for the good work God has called you to. The problem is that when you live below tired for a long time, when you've got nothing but drains going on and you don't have a day of rest where you've got some fills going on, then you get into this. Burnout. Burnout. This is beyond tired. This is not when you're just physically tired. But Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's when all of those things, heart, soul, mind, and strength, have been living on below empty for a long, long time. Now, one of the things I've got to tell you here is that you've got to have other people help you determine where you're in this place. So one of the reasons I share this list with my wife is this, is that she is my biggest fan. 
And I can tell you, as the pastor of this church, okay, one of the fastest growing churches in America, I have a lot of people that are very concerned about me. But there are none more concerned than my wife. And so I am wide open and honest. She has veto rights over all of my schedule, all of my calendar. And the reason why is nobody loves me like her and nobody knows me like her. And so she's, she's watching this for me. And honestly, too, if you're built like me, if you're a work, work, work kind of guy, man, especially early in ministry, I don't know about your career. All I've ever done is this. But I would hear guys talk about burnout all the time. And I just thought, you're just a wimp. You're just a wimp. Okay? Burnout's for wimps. And then winners don't burn out. And then I met every one of my of my like, church planner heroes, and every single one of them had been here. Every single one of them. And so you were not designed to live here in this burnout where it's all drained all the time. It's a part of why God gives us Sabbath rest. And then you do this long enough. See, this isn't even the bottom. This isn't the bottom. You do this long enough. And you hit moral failure. Most of the preachers that you've read about that ran off with their secretary, it wasn't a lust issue, it wasn't a sex issue, it didn't even begin as a moral issue, it was because they were living in burnout for so long, that they missed the Sabbath. See, the whole point of the Sabbath is reconnect with God so that you can live in right relationship with one another. So before you get to the seventh commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery, you can't run by number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so I think what happens is they feel they feel. Um, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and physically bankrupt, and so they hit the eject button and go moral failure. And so a big part of the reason that the Sabbath is a gift for us is because God wants us to have this life, this abundant life, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants you here, burnout, which leads to moral failure. But God wants you to live a life that is abundant. And a part of, what the, part of the way to live that abundant life is to Sabbath. It's to work, 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 rest. And again, it, it would be really important that you would spend some time there to figure out what fills you and how you rest. So in my disciple group on Thursday morning, I'm asking my guys. I've got about a dozen guys in my group. And they go, all right, guys, how do you rest and recharge and reconnect with God? And one of the guys says to me, oh, I like to go running. And I went, eh. <laughs> no, but for me to tell him, since running is not rest for me, all right? Have you ever seen my smile running? Never, okay? So, hey, you can write this down. If you ever see me running, call the cops. <laughs> Something is going horribly wrong, all right? So, but for me to try to impose that on him would be foolish Again, it's not about Sabbath rules, it's about Sabbath rest. So, here's, what, here's how we Sabbath. We reconnect to God and family, that we recharge, you should spend some time on that list, and the third one is this, is that you rest. The physical is important, the mental is important, the soul is vital. You should have mental rest, you should have physical rest, but what, ha- what you do in your soul is the most important. Um, I heard a preacher once say, I think this is probably good advice, that if you work with your mind, you should probably Sabbath with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you should probably Sabbath with your mind. So one of the reasons hunting is such a Sabbath for me is because I just, all my work is in here, right? It's all up here. And so once a week when I can go out into the woods and do mindless things like put corn in a feeder and some things that, you know, walk, that kind of stuff, it just helps me rest. <clears throat> now, again, some of you think, well, I've got too much to do. Yeah, you think you do. 
I was at a uh, pastor's conference one time, and one of my heroes in ministry, this guy named Doug Fields, and part of the reason he's my hero, not only is he a great preacher and all that stuff, but his family loves him and still loves Jesus and loves the church, okay? And he's older than me, and he's been at it a long time, and he's at this conference, and he's encouraging a bunch of pastors, make sure you take your day off. And this old guy in the back raises his hand and says, wait a minute, I don't take a day off because the devil doesn't take a day off. And Doug, without missing a beat, said, that's great, but the devil's not my role model. See, essentially what that guy was saying is, I am operating in fear. Because I'm afraid God can't handle the situation, and he really needs me to. You know what one thing that taking a Sabbath will do for you? It will, rede- it will reveal the idolatry of your own pride. Because I've talked to people that say, look, I can't take a day off right now in this season because this world needs me. Time out. <laughs> your, the world you've created in your own mind needs you. That's it. This world would be just fine without you, quite honestly. It would just keep, right, keep on going. Now, I know you are a big deal on your own Facebook page. Right. You're the biggest deal there. You are a really big deal on your own Twitter feed. But essentially, it's operating in fear because what you are saying is, God, you can't do this without me. You've got to have me in order to accomplish whatever this world needs. And it's just, it's just foolishness. It will also reveal, Sabbath will reveal the fact that you actually believe that you're justified by works instead of by grace. Now, I think, if you've been coming to this church for at least six months, and I were to give you a theology exam, I hope and pray that you could pass. That we would all say, no, 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 we're not justified by works. It's not about how good we are, but we're justified by grace because God loves us and chose us. And it's by, it's by his grace that we're saved. But does your calendar say that? Or do you think that it's up to you to get it all done? You see, fundamentally, we are justified by works, just not yours. We're justified by his works on the cross. And a part of what the Sabbath does, a part of what taking a Sabbath, reconnecting with God, recharging our batteries, and resting in Christ, it reveals on a weekly basis our dependence upon what he did on the cross. And that that drives our work. Here's the point, that Sabbath rest isn't found in a day of no work, but it's realized in the work done by Jesus. That Sabbath rest isn't found in a day of no work. So listen, from now on, you can take a nap on Sunday, and it's not going to change your life. Sabbath rest isn't found in a day of no work, but it's realized in the work done by Jesus. That's what, that's what Colossians 2 means when it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of Sabbath, That Sabbath is only a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And in fact, when you Sabbath, when you say, okay, God, I'm going to remember you, I'm going to reconnect with you and others, I'm going to recharge my batteries, and I'm going to rest. For one day a week, I'm just going to stop working, and I'm going to rest, and I'm going to refuel. It does a bunch of things. One thing is it points back to the way we were originally created to live. This is in the garden that we work for six days and get everything done, and then we rest in the presence of God. So it looks back to there. Not only that, it reminds you of the current reality of your salvation. It points to the day that Jesus Christ came up out of the grave and claimed victory over sin and death, and we rest in that. And not only that, it points to a future day. If I had time, I don't have time, but you extra credit Christians, go to Hebrews chapter 4 this afternoon. And Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this Sabbath rest that one day we will walk into. And that when we rest here on earth, it is a picture or a foreshadowing of the rest that we will have in the presence of Christ for all eternity. 
that it's that big of a deal. And see, the truth is, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know rest. Amen. You just don't. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know rest. And because um, <clears throat> if you're kind of the immoral, irreligious, I don't need God, then, then your reality all day, every day, is it's all up to you. And that's exhausting. Now, the other side of that coin is that if you are religious, if you're a very religious person, then you don't know rest either. Because you're going to work your fingers to the bone for the rest of your days trying to please and appease a God that you think just has this kind of low-grade frustration with you always. That's exhausting too. I mean, the only way to actually find rest is to find, is to find Christ. Amen. So my question to you, just be very simple. Are you busy? Are you busy? And if the answer is yes, which most of us, isn't it yes, I'm busy. The question then is, doing What? What are you doing that you're so busy with? You know, I'm sure you've seen these studies before where they go to people on their deathbeds and they ask them, hey, if you could do your life over, what would you do? Not one person says work more. They all say, I'd rest more and I would spend more time with the people that were closest to me. Every single person. The people on those deathbeds can do nothing about it, but you can. You can. And your time is your most valuable commodity. Again, if you run out of money... You can make more money. If you run out of friends, you can make more friends. You run out of time, it is over. If I were to ask your wife or ask your kids, are you busy? I bet their answer is more real than your answer. You should listen to them. And so what I want to challenge you to do, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. And here's why. My favorite seminary professor, which is the only one I like, he told me this on the day I graduated, right? Last time I ever saw him. He's in heaven now. He told me this. He just looked at me and he said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want you to try a couple things. The first one's this. You remember um, when we were talking about our vision for 2015, that 2015 is a year of prayer for our church. I hope your 731 prayer challenge is going well. I'm just going to say, the out loud prayer times with my wife has been awesome. I hope they have been for you. I hope you're praying daily. Daily, what if you decided from now on that the first part of your morning of every day you were going to give to God? That that's how you're, you were so busy you couldn't miss that first time of the morning with God. And I know some of you aren't morning people. That's okay. God has been awake a while. He's good to go. He can receive your prayers. Because I think what would happen is this. If you would order your day in such a way where God gets the first, then everything else tends to work out better. And what I mean is this, you could get your entire life in order, okay? You could have the perfect calendar, the perfect schedule, you could have the perfect uh, finances, all of that. And if God's not first, your whole life is out of whack. And so what if in your own, the seven days a week, would start every morning, that one of the first things that you did is that you went to God in prayer and you just put him first. Another thing is this, why don't you get out your idle phone or iPhone, And what if between now and and in the next seven days, you scheduled a Sabbath? You said, okay. And you could do it from morning to evening. You could do it 24 hours. You could do it from evening. Whatever you want to do, okay? We're not legalistic here. But you got out your phone and you said, okay, this is going to be my Sabbath this week, this day. And you scheduled it. Because let me promise you something. Let me promise you. If you can learn the discipline of scheduling your priorities as opposed to prioritizing your schedule, the blessings of God will flow your way. And I'm not talking about health, wealth, and happiness. I'm just talking about life works better that way. When you get the right things right, 
And so do it. And if you look at your schedule and you go, well, I can't do it this week. Houston, we have a problem. You are living outside of the way God has created you to live. So the first one, pray first thing in the morning. The second one, schedule a Sabbath for this week. And then the third one, just so we get the main thing right, is this. Is answer the invitation of Jesus. Again, I'm just telling you, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know rest. Because you're either working all by yourself to take care of yourself, that's exhausting. Or, if you think it's about religion, then you're working to try to appease God, that's exhausting. But when you know Jesus, you know rest. Here's, here's the invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I imagine that's somebody in the room. Any of you are just exhausted? I mean, you're just tired of it. I mean, relationally, you're tired. Mentally, you're exhausted. Physically, you know, you just woke back up in the sermon because you know it's about getting to the end, okay? Like, you are exhausted. That, invita- that invitation is for you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You know what Jesus doesn't say? Come to me, all of those that have it all together because they wouldn't come anyway. Jesus says, hey, everybody that's tired and just worn out and exhausted, come to me. And Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. That if you pursue rest, you'll never find it. You pursue Jesus and rest is a byproduct. That's important. That's important. Some of you are pursuing rest. And it's kind of like trying to sleep. You can't try to sleep. And some of you are like, oh, I can. I take Ambien every night. That's a problem. The chemical warfare going on as a result of us not obeying Sabbath principles. You know the reason you drink Red Bull all day and take Ambien at night? That's bad. That is bad. And I got nothing against Red Bull. I don't know about Ambien. Maybe I do. I don't know what I'm supposed to think about that, okay? I don't know about it. But I know this, that when you come to Jesus, that he gives rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Remember what that yoke is. Again, there were all these rabbis that were saying, here's all the things you do to obey the fourth commandment, to obey all the commandments. And and Jesus says, on the cross, I fulfilled them all. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. Every cross of the T and dot of the I, down to the punctuation of the laws, Christ fulfilled the law on the cross. And so now, no longer is it our works by which we are reconciled to God, but it's His works that they are imputed or given unto us. And when you really believe that and surrender to that, you know what the result is? Rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And that's what you're really looking for, isn't it? Because for some of you, if you're honest, if you're honest, you got a restless soul. And you got a good job, and you're making plenty of money, and your calendar's full, and you got all that stuff. You got everything this world has to offer, and the problem is you got a restless soul. Or some of you started going to church a long time ago, and you've been doing all the stuff the church told you to do. You got in a group, you went on a mission trip, and you sing the songs. The problem is you've never come to Jesus and taken his yoke upon you. His yoke is that he suffered and died on the cross on your behalf to fulfill the law so that you and I could receive that freely and then walk in freedom. And the result of that is, listen, rest for your soul. So is that you? 
Is that you? Are you exhausted? Are you too busy? Trying to earn? Trying to justify yourself before God or before other people? And is today the day that you need to say, okay, time out, I'm done. I am done. This law is crushing to me. And, th- and is today the day that you realize that grace preceded the law? That God has invited, in, invited you into an unmerited relationship with him? And that when you look at trying to earn that on your own, you're like, ah, it's impossible. I can't pull it off. And then the remedy is this, that Christ has already done it for you at the cross. So everybody that's exhausted, mentally, physically, relationally, spiritually, everybody that feels that way, Jesus makes you an invitation. Come to him, and the result of that is no longer a restless soul, but rest for your soul. Would you please bow your head? Close your eyes. You know, this one minute of prayer time right now might be the most rest you get all week. And if you were here this morning and you are ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, if you're ready to rest in Christ, if you're ready to believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you, and not only that, that He loves you so much that He doesn't just forgive you, He doesn't just give you a nap, but He adopts you into His family, calls you one of His own, His very own son, or daughter, and that you are ready to rest in that. That you don't want to be the Lord of your own life anymore, but you're ready for Jesus Christ to be your Lord. If that's you, if you're ready to be saved, then just tell Him. With whatever words you want to use, there are no magic words. You just tell Him. Admit that you need a Savior. Admit that you've had a restless soul and your plan has not worked. Believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, it counted for you, and then you confess Him as your Lord. If you just prayed that prayer, if you've surrendered your life to Christ for the very first time, would you just raise your hand where you are? Would you raise your hand and say, God, here I am. I need rest for my soul. I surrender my life to you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. God, we thank you for Sabbath. We thank you for the gift of rest. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak inside the heart of every believer in this place so that they would know exactly what it means for them to rest in you. Lord, I pray that our rest in you would be preparation for all the incredible things, the kingdom work that you have called us to. Lord, I thank you so much that we're justified by your works and not ours. And God, I thank you that we can rest in that. God, for the man or the woman that is on the edge of moral failure because they're just burnt out, Lord, I pray they'd lay it at the altar. They would come to you. They would lay it all down before you, knowing that you restore the soul. Knowing that you restore the soul. And God, I thank you that there's salvation in this place. And that we find our rest and our recharge, our reconnection, all in the person and work of Christ. And God, we can experience because of the Holy Spirit in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you please stand? <clears throat> now listen, I know some of you run right now. Don't run, okay? And if you just started, get back in your seat. Listen, here's why. This response song... We picked it on purpose. It's called Revelation Song. It's straight out of the book of Revelation. And here's why. is that the Sabbath here on earth is a foreshadowing of what our experience will be in heaven. That we will experience that ultimate rest for our soul when we are face to face, eyeball to eyeball with the lamb that was slain. So let us respond.